Michael Flynn's tenure was the shortest as a national security advisor of all time, with his resignation coming after just about 24 days. Flynn resigned amid reports that during the presidential campaign, he had discussed U.S. sanctions against Russia during conversations with Russian officials. The White House has confirmed as well that General Flynn misled Vice President Michael Pence about the conversations, and now there are reports that the FBI is investigating contacts between other members of the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence in the year before the election. These developments have raised concerns about possible disarray in the administration's national security apparatus, and also questions about whether anyone in the Trump campaign broke the law in their contacts with the Russian government. Here to talk to us about all of this are Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School, and William Banks, founding director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism. Thank you both for being here. Steve, let's start with the law itself. The, the law that um, people may have violated here, that there was some question as to whether uh, General Flynn had violated it, is the, called the Logan Act. Tell us about what the Logan Act is. <laughs> the Logan Act, I think, is the the favorite uh, uh, dusty old chestnut that folks like to drag out anytime someone we don't like does something in the foreign policy that we disagree with. Um, this is a 1799 statute, not a typo, um, that Congress passed basically in response to an incident where a guy named Dr. George Logan, who was a prominent uh, Democratic Republican, basically a Jeffersonian, in Philadelphia, um, took America's foreign policy with France into his own hands, tried to negotiate with the French government, even though President Adams and Congress at the time were very much more pro-British. Um, and the statute purports to prohibit anyone acting without the authority of the United States um, from engaging in correspondence or communications with foreign governments that has the effect of influencing our foreign policy. It's never been successfully used. Uh, the last indictment was in the early 19th century. There are serious constitutional objections to it, including that it's a content-based restriction on speech and that it's vague. Um, and, you know, I don't think that Jeff Sessions is going to be in a big hurry to prosecute Mike Flynn. So it's a fun academic exercise, but I think it's actually probably not at the end of the day what the real headline is about Michael Flynn. William, would it be possible even to invoke it after it's been ignored for more than 200 years? And what are the optics of doing that? Uh, I agree with with Steve that it's highly unlikely that it's going to be invoked in this case. It's a it, it's a political tool used by an administration to control voices outside the government that they don't want to have participating in a in a national security or foreign affairs uh, matter, and that's certainly not the case with Flynn. Well, Steve, it it may be impossible to enforce, but it's a. I mean, it is a real concern when you have you know you the traditionally we've had kind of one president at a time, as they say, and and you want you don't want private citizens conducting foreign policy, particularly when the president's trying to do certain things and a new president hasn't been sworn in yet. So, where is kind of it may not be legally and something we can enforce, but it has kind of drawn a line for people, hasn't it, about how they should behave. Yes and no. I mean, I think the Logan Act, I mean, let's be clear, the Logan Act itself wasn't directed at the problem of presidential transitions, um, right? I mean, George Logan was just a private citizen when Congress passed that statute. Um, the problem of presidential transitions is one Congress has actually finally started to grapple with in a series of statutes in the last 15 years. And I can totally imagine a, you know, narrower and much more focused 
maybe non-criminal uh, restriction on what kinds of contacts uh, a transition team is allowed to have with foreign governments. But I guess the problem is, is that, you know, compared to that specific problem and to the one president at a time, um, you know, phenomenon, the Logan Act is a, is, is a broadsword, not a scalpel. And so, you know, I think the issue here is not so much whether we ever want individual members of transition teams, you know, setting the stage for the foreign policy that their president is soon going to be conducting, but rather, you know, is this really the way to do it, or should Congress go back to the drawing board? Um, and with regard to Flynn, I think the issue is, you know, separate from the Logan Act, is he in other kinds of, of legal hot water? William, that brings up the FBI questioned Flynn in the early days of the Trump presidency about his conversations, and investigators believe Flynn was not entirely forthcoming, to put it according to the New York Times. If the authorities conclude that Flynn knowingly lied to the FBI, could that expose him to a felony charge for making false statements? It could. And in contrast to the Logan Act, it's uh, it's it's written in such a way that it, that it pretty directly applies to what Flynn did. It just says that anyone who is within the jurisdiction of the government of the United States uh, knowingly and willfully makes a, a materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement is uh, is engaged in felonious uh, behavior. So I think there's a, f- a fair chance. So it's the old adage that the cover-up is worse than the crime, right? So uh, I agree with, with Steve about the Logan Act, and, and it's, it's not going to happen in this case that he'll be sanctioned for what he actually might have talked to the Russian ambassador about, but he may well be sanctioned for lying about it to the Bureau. As the Trump administration considers possible replacements for former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and the FBI is reportedly investigating contacts between Trump campaign officials and Russian intelligence during last year's campaign, Russia has deployed a land-based cruise missile that American officials say violates the 1987 Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces or INF Treaty. So uh, things with Russia and on the federal level seem to be getting very mixed up. We have been talking with... Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas School of Law, and William Banks of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism about the resignation of NSA Director Flynn and the investigations going on. And we're going to talk about this and the uh, and the treat, possible treaty violation. Um, William, let's start, though, by continuing to talk about the... Um, the, the situation involving the, the possible Logan Act violations or communications with the Russian government. You know, we were talking about the fact that there's not really a, a lot of prosecutorial possibility here and the, and the law is kind of vague. Are there other things that we could expect from a legal standpoint, perhaps in Congress, that might happen as a result of um, people being concerned about improper contacts between Trump campaign officials and the Russians? Well, as many of your listeners know, the Congress has already determined to begin investigations of the of the Russian involvement in the 2016 presidential election on the basis of the intelligence community's reports that were released uh, before the the Trump administration took office. And I think that those the, there's simply additional impetus to get those investigations uh, going now and to broaden their scope to include. A potential involvement of, of Trump campaign officials during the pendency of the election. 
Steve, Senator Mark Warner of the Senate Intelligence Committee investigation said that they are they're going to go forward when he was he said it would be appropriate for Flynn to testify, but he wouldn't say whether or not they had decided to subpoena him. Would his testimony be part of any intensive investigation? I mean, I would think it would have to be, but, you know, it's it's telling that that quote comes from Senator Warner, who, you know, is in the minority right now on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Seems like the real question is whether it's the Republican leadership, um, Speaker Ryan, Senator McConnell, and the chairs of the relevant committees who are actually going to show any interest in having any kind of investigation, any kinds of hearings. You know, Congressman Nunez, um, who's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, said yesterday that he thought the far bigger issue coming out of this new regarding General Flynn um, was the leaking um, and the possibility that someone had disclosed the contents of, you know, secret surveillance in violation of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. So long as Congress thinks that's the story here, um, I'm not especially optimistic that Senator Warner is going to have his chance. Well, another story we have, William, is is the fact that there's, American officials are now saying that Russia has violated a treaty, which is, of course, you know, a legal obligation between countries that goes back to the Reagan administration um, by deploying this uh, a land-based missile system. Can, can you give us some backstory on what this treaty is and, and what the violation might be? Well, the, the treaty is, uh, is a 30-year-old treaty that has to do with land-based uh, weaponry. And, and indeed, there's, I think, a pretty good case to be made that that the deployment of this uh, particular unit by the Russians would be a treaty violation. It's, you know, it requires some interpretation. Uh, it, the questions will be, uh, you know, carefully visited inside our government as well as in, in NATO. The larger context here, I think, though, is, is what, uh, what plays the Russians are making now uh, because of the transition, the youth of the Trump administration, the inexperience of many who are now in key uh, positions in the administration. So being aggressive in Ukraine, uh, rolling out this weapon system, uh, they had a near miss uh, with, uh, with a, uh, a U.S. Uh, ship in the, in the region, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, it seems like they're testing us in a, in a number of ways, including this uh, in, involvement in the, in the election uh, before the fact. Steve, considering that it's difficult to figure out where Trump's position on Russia is any one day, he had some tweets today that seemed to say something different than he said before. Is there any, do you think there's any likelihood that they would actually do something if they found that Russia had violated the arms control treaty? I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath, dude. I mean, I think that I think there's a there's a real question here um, about what the diplomatic priorities of the federal government are vis-a-vis -vis Russia. You know, Secretary Tillerson made a number of statements during his confirmation hearing um, that he was not potentially as sympathetic as as some others in his administration. Um, but I just I have a hard time thinking that if we were going to draw some kind of diplomatic red line with Russia, that this would be it. Um, and I think that's the real problem because then the question becomes. 
what does Russia do next? Um, I think there's no question, as Bill rightly says, you know, that Russia is going to sort of poke and prod and try to figure out how it can take maximum advantage um, of the inexperience and, frankly, the incompetence um, of the new administration. And then the question just becomes, if it's not going to be the White House that pushes back, who's left? And I think that's why the attention, once again, has to come back to Congress um, and to whether, for example, there should be legislation to prevent the president from unilaterally lifting the sanctions against Russia um, and other legislative measures. You know, until and unless Congress really starts asserting its own institutional role here, we're going to see more of this, not less of it. Well, it certainly seems as though these stories are not going to be going away anytime soon. Our thanks to Professor Stephen Vladek of the University of Texas School of Law and to Williams ba- William Banks, the founding director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism, for joining us here today on Bloomberg Law. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, the Justice Department has sued DirecTV and AT&T over colluding with competitors about the Los Angeles Dodgers television channel. Apparently, they don't want to pay the prices that Time Warner Cable uh, has been trying to get them to pay, and a lot of people in L.A. have not been able to watch the Dodgers for some time. So, action by the Justice Department. Coming up here on Bloomberg Law with Michael Best and June Grasso. This is Bloomberg. 